0: chapter eleven of elizabethan dogs by william wood this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven raleigh and the vision of the west conquerors first prospectors second then the pioneers that is the order of those by whom america was opened up for english-speaking people no elizabethan colonies took root therefore the age of elizabethan sea dogs was one of conquerors and prospectors not one of pioneering colonists at all spain and portugal alone founded 16th century colonies that have had a continuous life from those days to our own virginia and new england like new france only began as permanent settlements after drake and queen elizabeth were dead virginia in sixteen hundred and seven new france in sixteen hundred and eight new england in sixteen twenty it is true that drake and his sea dogs were prospectors in their way so were the soldiers gentlemen adventurers and fighting traitors and theirs. on the other hand some of the prospectors themselves belong to the class of conquerors while many would have gladly been the pioneers of permanent colonies nevertheless the prospectors form a separate class and sir walter raleigh though an adventurer in every other way as well is undoubtedly their chief his colonies failed He never found his eldorado he died a ruined and neglected man but still he was the chief of those whom we can only call prospectors first because they tried their fortune ashore one step beyond the conquering sea dogs and secondly because their fortune failed them just one step short of where the pioneering colonists began a man so various that he seemed to be not one but all mankind's epitome is a description written about a very different character but it is really much more appropriate to sir walter raleigh courtier and would-be colonizer soldier and sailor statesman and scholar poet and master of prose raleigh had one ruling passion greater than all the rest combined In a letter about america to sir robert cecil the son of queen elizabeth's principal minister of state lord burleigh he expressed this great determined purpose of his life i shall yet live to see it an english nation he had other interests in abundance perhaps in superabundance and he had much more than the usual temptations to live the life of fashion with just enough of public duty to satisfy both the queen and the very least that is implied by the motto noblesse oblige he was splendidly handsome and tall a perfect blend of strength and grace full of deep romantic interest in great things far and near the very man whom women dote on And yet, through all the seductions of the court and all the storm and stress of Europe, he steadily pursued the vision of that West, which he would make an English nation. He left Oxford as an undergraduate to serve the Huguenots in France under Admiral Coligny and the Protestants in Holland under William of Orange like hawkins and drake he hated spain with all his heart and paid off many a score against her by killing spanish troops at smerwick during an irish campaign marked by ruthless slaughter on both sides on his return to england he soon attracted the charmed attention of the queen his spreading his cloak for her to tread on lest she might wet her feet is one of those stories which ought to be true if it's not in any case he won the royal favour was granted monopolies promotion and estates and launched upon the full flood-stream of fortune he was not yet thirty when he obtained for his half-brother sir humphrey gilbert then a man of thirty-eight a royal commission to inhabit and possess all remote and heathen lands not in the possession of any christian prince the draft of gilbert's original prospectus dated at london the sixth of november fifteen seventy seven and still kept there in the record office is an appeal to elizabeth in which he proposed to discover and inhabit some strange place gilbert was a soldier and knew what fighting meant so he likewise proposed to set forth certain ships of war to the new land which with your good license i will undertake without your majesty's charge the new land fish is a principal and rich and everywhere vendable merchandise and by the gain thereof shipping vital munition and the transporting of five or six thousand soldiers may be defrayed but gilbert's associates cared nothing for fish and everything for gold he went to the west indies lost a ship and returned without a fortune next year he was forbidden to repeat the experiment the project then languished until the fatal voyage of fifteen eighty three when gilbert set sail with six vessels intending to occupy newfoundland as the base from which to colonize southwards until an armed new england should meet and beat new spain how vast his scheme how pitiful its execution and yet how immeasurably beyond his wildest dreams the actual development to-day Gilbert was not a sea-dog, but a soldier with an uncanny reputation for being a regular Jonah, who had no good habits, Sea, He was also passionately self-willed, and Elizabeth had doubts about the propriety of backing him. But she sent him a gilt anchor by way of good luck, and off he went in June, financed chiefly by Raleigh, whose name was given to the flagship gilbert's adventure never got beyond its base in newfoundland his ship the delight was wrecked the crew of the raleigh mutinied and ran her home to england the other four vessels held on but the men for the most part were neither good soldiers good sailors nor yet good colonists but 'er ne'er-do-wells and desperadoes by september the expedition was returning broken down gilbert furious at the sailor's hints that he was just a little sea shy would persist in sticking to the lilliputian ten-ton squirrel which was woefully top hampered with guns and stores before leaving newfoundland he was implored to abandon her and bring her crew aboard a bigger craft but no do not fear he answered we are as near to heaven by sea as land one wild night off the azores the squirrel foundered with all hands Amadis and barlow sailed in 1584 prospecting for sir walter raleigh they discovered several harbors in north carolina then part of the vast plantation of virginia roanoke island pamlico and albemarle sounds as well as the intervening waters were all explored with enthusiastic thoroughness and zeal barlow a skipper who was handy with his pen described the scent of that fragrant summer land in terms which attracted the attention of bacon at the time and of dryden a century later the royal charter authorizing raleigh to take what he could find in this strange land had a clause granting his prospective colonists all the privileges of free denizens and persons native of england in such ample manner as if they were born and personally resident in our said realm of england next year sir richard grenville who was raleigh's cousin convoyed out to roanoke the little colony which ralph lane governed and which as we have seen in an earlier chapter drake took home discomfited in fifteen eighty six there might have been a story to tell of successful colonization instead of failure if drake had kept away from roanoke that year or if he had tarried a few days longer for no sooner had the colony departed in drake's vessels than a ship sent out by sir walter raleigh freighted with all manner of things in most plentiful manner arrived at roanoke and after some time spent in seeking our colony up in the country and not finding them returned with all the aforesaid provision into england about a fortnight later sir richard grenville himself arrived with three ships not wishing to lose possession of the country where he had planted a colony the year before he landed fifteen men in the isle of roanoke furnished plentifully with all manner of provision for two years and so departed for england grenville unfortunately had burnt an indian town and all its standing corn because the indians had stolen a silver cup lane too had been severe in dealing with the natives and they had turned from friends to foes these and other facts were carefully recorded on the spot by the official chronicler thomas harriet better known as a mathematician among the captains who had come out under grenville in fifteen eighty five was thomas cavendish a young and daring gentleman adventurer greatly distinguished as such even in that adventurous age and the second english leader to circumnavigate the globe when drake was taking lane's men home in june fifteen eighty six cavendish was making the final preparations for a two-year voyage he sailed mostly along the route marked out by drake and many of his adventures were of much the same kind his prime object was to make the voyage pay a handsome dividend but he did notable service in clipping the wings of spain he raided the shipping off chile and peru took the spanish flagship the famous santa anna off the coast of california and on his return home in fifteen eighty eight had the satisfaction of reporting I burned and sank nineteen sail of ships, both small and great, and all the villages and towns that ever I landed at, I burned and spoiled. While Cavendish was preying on Spanish treasure in America and Drake was singeing the king of Spain's beard in Europe, Raleigh still pursued his colonizing plans in fifteen eighty seven john white and twelve associates received incorporation as the governor and assistance of the city of raleigh in virginia the fortunes of this ambitious city were not unlike those of many another boomed and busted city of much more recent date no time was lost in beginning three ships arrived at roanoke on the twenty second of july fifteen eighty seven every effort was made to find the fifteen men left behind the year before by grenville to hold possession for the queen mounds of earth which may even now be traced so piously have their last remains been cared for mark the site of the fort from natives of croatoan island the newcomers learned that grenville's men had been murdered by hostile indians one native friend was found in mantio a chief whom barlow had taken to england and grenville had brought back mantio was now living with his own tribe of sea-coast indians on croatoan islands but the mischief between red and white had been begun and though mantio had been baptized and was recognized as the lord of roanoke the races were becoming fatally estranged after a month governor white went home for more men and supplies leaving most of the colonists at roanoke he found elizabeth raleigh and the rest all working to meet the great armada yet even during the following year the momentous year of 1588 raleigh managed to spare two pinnaces with fifteen colonists aboard well provided with all that was most needed a spanish squadron however forced both pinnaces to run back for their lives after this frustrated attempt two more years passed before white could again sail for virginia in august fifteen ninety his trumpeter sounded all the old familiar english calls as he approached the little fort no answer came the colony was lost for ever white had arranged that if the colonists should be obliged to move away they should carve the name of the new settlement on the fort or surrounding trees and if there was either danger or distress they should cut a cross above the one word croatoan was all white ever found there was no cross white's beloved colony white's favorite daughter and her little girl were perhaps in hiding but supplies were running short white was a mere passenger on board the ship that brought him and the crew were getting impatient so impatient for a refreshment and a spanish prize that they sailed past croatoan refusing to stop a single hour Perhaps White learnt more than is recorded and was satisfied that all the colonists were dead. Perhaps not. Nobody knows. Only a wandering tradition comes out of that impenetrable mystery and circles round the not impossible romance of young Virginia Dare. Her father was one of White's twelve assistants. Her mother, Eleanor, was White's daughter. Virginia herself, the first of all true native-born americans was born on the 18th of august 1587 perhaps mantio lord of roanoke saved the whole family whose name has been commemorated by that of the north carolina county of dare perhaps virginia dare alone survived to be an indian queen about the time the first permanent anglo-american colony was founded in sixteen hundred and seven, twenty years after her birth who knows these twenty sundering years from the end of this abortive colony in 1587 to the beginning of the first permanent colony in 1607 constitute a period that saw the close of one age and the opening of another in every relation of anglo-american affairs nor was it only in anglo-american affairs that change was rife the honorable east india company entered upon its wonderful career shakespeare began to write his immortal plays the chosen translators began their work on the authorized version of the english bible the puritans were becoming a force within the body politic as well as in religion ulster was planted with englishmen and lowland scots in the midst of all these changes the great queen grown old and very lonely Died in sixteen hundred and three, and with her ended the glorious Tudor dynasty of England. James, pusillanimous and pedantic son of Darnley and Mary, Queen of Scots, ascended the throne as the first of the sinister Stuarts, and truckling to vindictive Spain, threw Raleigh into prison under suspended sentence of death there was a break of no less than fifteen years in english efforts to colonize america nothing was tried between the last attempt at roanoke in fifteen eighty seven and the first attempt in massachusetts in sixteen hundred and two when thirty-two people sailed from england with bartholomew gosnold formerly a skipper in raleigh's employ gosnold made straight for the coast of maine which he sighted in may he then coasted south to cape cod continuing south he entered buzzard's bay where he landed on cuttyhunk island here on a little island in a lake an island within an island he built a fort round which the colony was expected to grow but supplies began to run out there was bad blood over the proper division of what remained the would-be colonists could not agree with those who had no intention of staying behind the result was that the entire project had to be given up gosnoll sailed home with the whole disgusted crew and a cargo of sassafras and cedar such was the first prospecting ever done for what is now new england The following year, 1603, just after the death of Queen Elizabeth, some merchant venturers of Bristol sent out two vessels under Martin Pring. Like Gosnold, Pring first made the coast of Maine and then felt his way south. Unlike Gosnold, however, he bore into the great gulf of Massachusetts Bay, where he took in a cargo of sassafras at Plymouth Harbor but that was all the prospecting done this time there was no attempt at colonizing two years later another prospector was sent out by a more important company the earl of southampton and sir ferdinando gorges were the chief promoters of this enterprise gorges as lord proprietary of the province of maine is a well-known character in the subsequent history of new england lord southampton as shakespeare's only patron and greatest personal friend is forever famous through the world the chief prospector chosen by the company was george weymouth who landed on the coast of Maine, explored a little of the surrounding country kidnapped five indians and returned to england with a glowing account of what he had seen the cumulative effect of the three expeditions of Gosnold, pring and weymouth was a revival of interest in colonization prominent men soon got together and formed two companies which were formally chartered by king james on the tenth of april sixteen hundred and six the first or southern colony which came to be known as the london company because most of its members lived there was authorized to make its first plantation at any place upon the coast of virginia or america between the four and thirty and one and forty degrees of latitude the northern or second colony afterwards called the plymouth company was authorized to settle any place between thirty eight degrees and forty five degrees north thus overlapping both the first company to the south and the french to the north in the summer of the same year sixteen hundred and six henry Challens took two ships of the plymouth company round by the west indies where he was caught in a fog by the spaniards later in the season pring went out and explored north virginia in may sixteen hundred and seven a hundred and twenty men under george popham started to colonize this north virginia in august they landed in maine at the mouth of the Kennebec, where they built a fort some houses and a pinnace finding themselves short of provisions two-thirds of their number returned to england late in the same year the remaining third passed a terrible winter popham died and raleigh gilbert succeeded him as governor when spring came all the survivors of the colony sailed home in the pinnace they had built and the enterprise was abandoned the reports of the colonists after their winter in maine were to the effect that the second or northern colony was not habitable for englishmen in the meantime the permanent foundation of the first or southern colony the real virginia was well under way the same number of intending emigrants went out a hundred and twenty on the twenty sixth of april sixteen hundred and seven about four o'clock in the morning we described the land of virginia the same day we entered into the bay of Chesapeake, chesapeake thus begins the tale of captain john smith of the founding of jamestown and of a permanent virginia the first of the future united states now that we have seen one spot in vast america really become the promise of the english nation which raleigh had longed for we must return once more to raleigh himself as mocked by his tantalizing vision he looked out on a changing world from his secular mount pisgah in the prison tower of london by this time he had felt both extremes of fortune to the full during the travesty of justice at his trial the attorney general having no sound argument covered him with slanderous abuse these are three of the false accusations on which he was condemned to death viperous traitor damnable atheist and spider of hell hawkins drake frobisher and grenville all were dead so raleigh last of the great elizabethan lions was caged and baited for the sport of spain six of his twelve years of imprisonment were lightened by the companionship of his wife elizabeth throgmorton most beautiful of all the late queen's maids of honour another solace was the history of the world the writing of which set his mind free to wander forth at will although his body stayed behind the bars but the contrast was too poignant not to wring this cry of anguish from his preface Yet when we once come in sight of the port of death, to which all winds drive us, and when by letting fall that fatal anchor which can never be weighed again, the navigation of this life takes end, then it is, I say, that our own cogitations, those sad and severe cogitations formerly beaten from us by our health and felicity, return again, and pay us to the uttermost for all the pleasing passages of our life past at length in the spring of 1616 raleigh was released though still unpardoned he and his devoted wife immediately put all that remained of their fortune into a new venture twenty years before this he thought he could make discovery of the mighty rich and beautiful empire of Guiana and of that great and golden city which the spaniards called Dorado and the natives call manoa now he would go back to find the eldorado of his dreams somewhere inland that mysterious manoa among those southern mountains of bright stones which lay behind the spanish main the king's cupidity was roused and so in sixteen seventeen raleigh was commissioned as the admiral of fourteen sail in november he arrived off the coast that guarded all the fabled wealth still lying undiscovered in the far recesses of the Orinocan wilds guiana manoa eldorado the inland voices called him on but spaniards barred the way and raleigh defying the instructions of the king attacked them the english force was far too weak and disaster followed Raleigh's son and heir was killed, and his lieutenant committed suicide. His men began to mutiny. Spanish troops and ships came closing in, and the forlorn remnant of the expedition on which such hopes were built went straggling home to England. There Raleigh was arrested and sent to the block on the 29th of October, 1618. He had played the great game of life and death and lost it. When he mounted the scaffold, he asked to see the axe. Feeling the edge, he smiled and said, "'Tis a sharp medicine, but a cure for all diseases.' Then he bared his neck and died like one who had served the great queen as her captain of the guard. End of chapter 11